On this episode, Earth shows up in an unexpected place. Kirk gets all creepy with an older woman. Lord of the Flies gets a little too real. And nobody dies. Kinda. There was that one guy. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard. Take a station and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. Uh, this week we're discussing the, uh, let's see, this episode eight of uh, the original series, Miri, first aired October 27th, 1966. Uh, written by Adrian Spees and directed by, who directed? Vincent McEvity. Um, so starting with, of course, uh, the writer, Spees was journeyman TV writer. Um, he'd actually been the head writer on a series called The Valiant Lady, which ran for four years. Oh, uh, man, that was one of my favorite shows. Oh, <laughs> so, oh wait, no, I've never heard of that. <laughs> it is amazing doing this and looking back at a lot of the IMDb and and looking at just how many shows that obviously were successful. I mean, they had multi-season runs. To like, I have no idea what that was. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so this is the only Star Trek Spies was going to write. Um there are claims he kind of padded his screenplay uh, with lots of descriptions of sets and props, which is ironic as <laughs> this particular show doesn't have a lot of special anything as far as sets and pro- uh, props. Well, um, I mean, you got a bombed out town, right? I mean, that's that's always good for like, <laughs> oh, yes. And the window had 16 cracks. And there, <laughs> there was a teddy bear that laid there and dwindled in its sadness and of course you know at some point somebody's gonna go there's a reason why there were exactly that many cracks in the window because that signifies spock's soul going through yet another (laughs) you know and on and on and on all right Um, buddy go back to theater class we got work to do (laughs) but when they uh he had so speed so padded this uh this script that when they actually trimmed it all down to just the dialogue they ended up being uh 10 minutes short of an entire TV show. So they brought in a writer to go ahead and give the additional 10 minutes. And that was a uh, Steven Carabazos, which I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is the guy who wrote tentacles, the, uh, the octopus, or was it a squid? It was an octopus. Wasn't it horror movie? I, I don't Winters? know that one. Oh, really? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to, uh, um, uh, I, I think we're going to have to find out what tentacles is all about. Yeah. Yeah. All I can tell you is Shelly Winters was in it and that's pretty much, I think I, I'm thinking it's an octopus, but it might be a, okay, hold on. Shelly Winters, John Houston and Henry Fonda were in this. Wow. I, yeah, I guess I, I, I guess wow. I watched only about the first five or seven minutes of it. But the worst part is, is it's Henry Fonda in 1977. <laughs> wow (laughs) we're not not exactly talking 12 angry men here (laughs) more of a angry get off my lawn (laughs) Um, he also did write last flight of noah's ark which if nobody knows that that was a uh, elliot gould disney film uh which you remember this totally saw that yes yes i saw this (laughs) yep 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 um 
So anyway, when Karo Batsu was supposed to come in and uh, write the last 10 minutes of this episode, he actually ended up rewriting about 80% of the dialogue. And since it was so padded with uh, prop and set instructions, you have to figure that was probably 80% of the actual script. Right. So. <laughs> set instructions are, look, just kind of run around. It's fine. You're a bunch of kids. <laughs> I will say it doesn't seem there were any hard feelings on Shatner's side though. Cause Spees would later write an episode of TJ hooker, but then oh, he- well, there you go. That's, that's how you know the universe <laughs> is in order because he got to go on and write TJ hooker. He's the man who came up with the hood slide it's him right there. And, and always remember TJ hooker. And actually we'll see it in this episode of Mary. It's always best to not use any sort of weapon and just beat the living tar. Out of people. <laughs> That's really what gets your message across. Have you considered melee violence? <laughs> <laughs> so the episode's directed by Vincent McGavity. Um, he was another journeyman TV director and uh, had a couple of long hauls i noticed on simon and simon he did about 40 episodes one of my favorite all-time shows Um, i'm just gonna put on my shawl here for a second (laughs) because i also was quite a fan of simon and simon (laughs) and then uh murder she wrote he he directed about 28 episodes of murder she wrote which was one of my mom's favorite shows pull my (laughs) shawl a little bit tighter i probably watched all 28 of those (laughs) Um, he was part actually of a a family of directors. His uh, father was a career AD and his brothers did. Um, I guess from what was written, he directed this particular episode from a wheelchair because being a Hollywood jet setter, he had gone skiing the week before and broke his leg. So, uh, that's some good stuff right there. Yeah. He (laughs) uh, had some glamor for you. I, I, apparently he got the call, um, right after he had broken his leg. He, he was he, he didn't even have the job yet. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he shows up in a, in a wheelchair. Did I not mention that? <laughs> I could have sworn I mentioned that. So Mary's kind of weird. Uh, the synopsis is that the Enterprise discovers an exact duplicate of Earth, <sighs> where the only survivors <laughs> of a deadly man-made plague are some of the planet's children. Now, I want to put it out there right now. This gets weird fast because this plague happened at least 300 years ago. (laughs) Roughly, I don't know, 1966-ish? Somewhere, right? It's just like it's amazing how close. You know what? I think it might have been 1960. (laughs) Yeah, I think Spock will even uh, chirp up in there and is like, man, this looks like the 60s, dude. Right. <laughs> so this this is the first of the parallel Earth episodes. Um, there's a whole bunch of these that were used because they were cost cutting measure. Um, yeah. If you think about it, RKO's set is there. Uh, Lucille Ball has has taken ownership of it at this point. Or excuse me, uh, Desi Arnaz or uh, uh, Desi Lu Studios has taken ownership of it. Um, and so yeah, they get to reuse a whole lot of stuff. So. Parallel Earth ones are great. They're super cheap. This uh, particular one was so cheap because it was filmed on RKO's 40-acre lot, uh, which is the home of Mayberry. (laughs) Uh, Strangely enough, contrary to the name, it was actually only 29 acres. Uh, But it is this is one of the richest uh, pieces of history in movies. So Cecil B. DeMille uh, actually uh, took over the lease of this in uh, 19... Uh, 26. 
1928, RKO acquired it from Cecil B. DeMille. So that the, and they proceeded to film Bird of Paradise, King Kong, and Gone with the Wind there. And they did those all in that order. Uh, Bird of Paradise was 32, King Kong in 33, Gone with the Wind in 37. So in 37, when they're filming Gone with the Wind, there's the huge scene of Atlanta is burning. <laughs> they just took all the old sets and threw them in one place and set them on fire. That was Atlanta is burning. Including, and I have not found any footage to prove this, but it's the story, including the gigantic gates from King Kong. <laughs> Every time I see a clip of that scene, I always think it's like, oh, look, it's King Kong's gate. <laughs> so when this episode aired, uh, it also should be pointed out that in the UK, the BBC did not have as positive an outlook on this as <laughs> US viewers got. Uh, they received a lot of letters from viewers saying that this episode should never be aired again uh, because of its portrayal of child abuse, uh, neglect, and torture uh, that was considered too much for British audiences. Uh, yeah, so, so they didn't show this again until the 80s. Right? I they, can't believe they... that it took that long before they finally showed it again. <laughs> And I, I got a nickel that says it probably was around the, like 87 when uh, next gen came out and they needed a big publicity boost. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I bet you're right on that. So it looks like we started out on star date, uh, 27, 13.5, which again, because this is the original series means absolutely nothing. <laughs> Just uh, stick a decimal in there. That it sounds more professional. <laughs> I don't know. What was it last week? Add four, add 4.2 <laughs> to that. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> Yay. And like many great Star Trek episodes, we begin with the Enterprise getting an SOS. Well, actually, okay. Many great episodes start with the Enterprise getting a distress beacon, but in this case, they're actually getting an SOS. Specifically an Earth-style SOS, <laughs> which I, I I have a problem with this. Um so you're telling me that on Earth in the 23rd century, 23rd, 23rd century, they're still using Morse code SOS? Everybody in Starfleet seems to seems to know Morse code because in Star Trek 5, they oh. all they're all able to and to next gen for it. And Voyager and DS9, every show has done Morse code. And I I just don't get why it is that people who have like the thought of not having wireless communications is so odd to them, yet they still all know how to tap out a message. <laughs> Blows me away. And it, it really makes me feel like, what am I doing with my life that I actually wouldn't be able to, you know, decipher an SOS code. And yeah. Star Trek is telling me that I should know this. This is a skill. Star right. Trek is trying to tell me it is important and I'm failing horribly. One day you're going to be driving down the freeway and you're going to hear and you're going to be like what is is somebody in need of assistance i'll never know just keep hitting that radio you'll figure it out well the communications on the enterprise are really weird today because of who has the day off and so lieutenant farrell is spending his last tour on the enterprise sitting at her station and it's really awesome because throughout this entire scene, as he answers all of Kirk's questions, it really sounds like he's in a bathroom stall somewhere upset. It's, it is so good. Like nobody mic'd him up. 
<laughs> I think I think maybe Nichelle Nichols was was like dating the sound guy, and they went on vacation together because it was terrible. <laughs> and th- th- that's when we found out there's no insulation on that bridge either. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this is unfortunately Farrell's last episode, yeah. so he's going to go out in style, man. <laughs> this is going to be great because Kirk's going to leave the ship, and he doesn't really leave anybody in charge, so Farrell just hangs out at the switchboard and kind of answers all the questions, <laughs> and there's nobody really in charge of the ship. Dude, I've got this picture in my head that uh, you know everybody leaves the bridge, and they go and they transport to the planet, and Farrell's on there by himself looking around and he just kind of like, am I, am, am I allowed to do this? No, nobody said anything. Military guys don't like it when they don't have orders. <laughs> That's not cool. I'm sure somebody will could remember I'm here and, and tell me what's going on. <laughs> so Spock's kind of smart me in this one. <laughs> he's, yeah. I love how he's just, he's staring at his communicator. He starts rattling stuff off. And and I do like he starts rattling off all the stats for uh, for this planet that they're coming close to. And I like that after he says every number, like a little more recognition, light of recognition hits the crews. Uh, uh, it, it's almost as if they have Earth's stats down by heart, because every time right. he puts a number, they're like, oh, why? That sounds really familiar. Oh, why? That's just like until yeah, we get again. To- they all know Morse code and they all know the circumference of the earth. They <laughs> don't buy that. They've got so many other planets they have to keep track of now. And they really just know all the numbers. It's like a sports fan type thing, right? You know, your best player's stats, I guess, you know, Earth's stats, you, you, you just have them memorized, you know, right. You sit around talking to people, you know, I got, I got 300 bucks on earth for this weekend's game. man. <laughs> I, I like that. That Spock's face totally starts getting to the point where he's like, and it's got seven continents, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you should have gotten this by now. Look at the screen. There's North America, guys. It's half that and half the, his disappointment at the whole premise. Really? Right. Right. Really? Really? <laughs> another Earth. We're going to pull up on another Earth. He just didn't read the script and he just got to that point and was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah it's another earth now uh on screen they show earth uh shrouded in clouds and all hazy and pretty this is the remastered version <laughs> the original version had much more of a um well you really kind of expected to see like the manufacturer's stamp on the globe somewhere on the uh somewhere on the thing because it really just looked like somebody kind of painted over the names of the, uh, the borders and names on a globe and threw it up there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's exactly what it was. Um, so the, <laughs> that's why it looked like that. Right. So they had the sphere model. There's no clouds, no nothing, just a globe. And, it, and they decided that they were going to uh, reuse it a couple times or reuse the footage anyway, because they actually did film the model swinging a, a sideways around the, uh, the globe. Uh, and, uh, specifically going over the very, very obvious Africa and North America. (laughs) Uh, So they decided, you know, that looks so good. Let's reuse it in tomorrow is yesterday, uh, which is the time travel episode. Uh, Also assign also assignment earth, uh, which I believe is another 
No, that's not a time travel. That's a no. That is uh, time travel. That's Gary Seven. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> now in the uh, attempt at a spinoff, right? Um, now in in Assignment Earth, they did add clouds in in post production, um, but in some scenes, you can see it without. Um, or I'm sorry, that was in Tomorrow's Yesterday. In Assignment Earth, they just reused the scene flat out the way it was here. <laughs> they were just like, ah, nobody knows. By that um, time, yeah, we're just we're cutting every corner we can. Now, what was funny though is that for Shore Leave and Arena, they just took the film and flipped it around backwards and threw a color uh, uh, tint on it and said it's an alien planet. So there you go. Shore <laughs> Leave and Arena are backwards. Earth. <laughs> now that's some thinking, right? <laughs> um, and so they after we see that it is earth and, and Spock gets all smarmy, we go to commercial and we come back to credits in italics. Yeah. We should know something's wrong because the episode title is in italics right off the bat. So you, you right away, you kind of know, okay, something's off. It's not Mary. It's Mary. <laughs> so <laughs> I honestly, the title, it's a little bit creepy, <laughs> right? I think, I think honestly that the, uh, the, um, the titles guys were just trying something new. Like, I think they were, they were told to like try to jazz things up or something because the, the italics are different. The colors are different in the text. And in, at the end of the episode, they changed it out as well. Uh, the end credits are in a different script at the same time. So I, I don't know, just everything felt a little bit off in this episode. So I, I think they were, they were trying to figure out if they needed to change things up and kind of get some opinions on it. Yeah, I, I can see that. You're, you're episode eight into the first one. This was kind of a, uh, from what I understand, this was like a, uh, kind of the first batch. They had a small break, mm-hmm. started the next batch of, of episodes. So yeah, that completely makes sense. Yeah, from this point forward, all the episodes are going to be relatively in order. Oh, that's true. That is true, yeah. So the duplicate Earth thing. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out out here. Um, um I listened to a lecture and a guy talked about big number theory and I don't get all of that. I'm not, I'm not that smart of a person, but oh, it's easy when, when you count, the numbers get bigger. That's my to come back and you're going to have to tell me that again. <laughs> but what he did say was there's a problem with believing in an infinite universe because we see all of these science fiction of oh, we go to this other dimension and now you're evil and you have a beard. If you have an infinite universe, you don't have to go to another dimension for that because the odds against that happening are staggering, but they're nowhere close to infinity. So every possible permutation, if the universe is infinite, every possible permutation of Earth, you, all of that has been done hundreds and hundreds of times because... The odds, no matter how big they are, won't even begin to approach infinity. So you're telling me that on some planet, I'm only Lieutenant Awesome? Yes. Unbelievable. That's it. I don't want to live in this universe anymore. (laughs) Although I would like to go to I Just Won the Lottery Planet. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Of course, the other thing is, if this all does, works in any sort of way, well, the evil you, you know, we can tell because we're wearing a beard, but you and I have beards. I mean, I have a beard. So does that mean, wait, no. So somewhere out there's much nicer versions of us. 
Meh. doing a podcast. That's a hundred percent true. <laughs> <laughs> doing a podcast about Stargate. Dear Lord. <laughs> and that's what makes them the evil versions of us. Well, no, they're the problem is though, is that they have evil Dean Kane. <laughs> Wait, no, not Dean Kane. <laughs> I was gonna say that was redundant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is getting out of control. So <laughs> they, they they decide they're going to go down to Earth or to the planet's surface because who knows? Maybe it's Earth, maybe it's not. But it looks <laughs> like it, but who knows? So they go down to the surface and they land in dun, 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 Mayberry. <laughs> well, kind of post-apocalyptic Mayberry. <laughs> That's what happens when you, when you let Barney have all the bullets. <laughs> See, this is big number theory again. In this particular planet, Andy Griffith never became the sheriff of Mayberry. And look what happened. Maybe Floyd the Barber became sheriff. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So (laughs) our away team is Kirk, Spock, McCoy, duh, Rand. For some reason. And two security guys. They're wearing red shirts. This is the first and only time that Rand is going to get off the ship. We'll come back to that later, but yeah, this is her away mission. Yeah. Poor Rand. Anyway. (laughs) And here's where Kirk is kind of doing the whole, you know, well, it looks like early 1900s and Spock is like, no, man, no, man, you're looking at the 60s. Which he's right because Andy Griffith premiered in 1960. (laughs) So I think he was just a fan. (laughs) Sir, there's Floyd the Barber right over there. <laughs> so, I uh, let's keep going. <laughs> now, I do love when they, they beam down also. They start walking around and the one security guy decides that he really doesn't want to protect the party. So, he just goes and starts walking off by himself. <laughs> okay, seriously, this was so weird. Like, they're just walking along and all of a sudden he's like, whoop, and he's gone. And you're like, where are you going, dude? Hey, look over here. Hey, this is so cool. Right? And he was like, like, really just hauling <laughs> around the corner. And then he just stops dead and it's like, what's that over there? What's over there? And he never comes back. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. And there's there then when we do see him by himself, there is the obligatory haunted house, creaky door. (laughs) Somebody's at you. The writers for this show thought that everyone in the United States was terrified (laughs) about haunted houses. Cause it It seems like everything is like, let's go, let's go to the Halloween store and get some ideas. We got giant black cats. We've got creaky doors. We've got ghosts. <laughs> I mean, I, oh, oh, and, I'm, I'm thinking just, Jason really liked Halloween. He was just seriously. Like, he had to because <laughs> the writers just go back to that well over and over again. <laughs> I don't know. It's bizarre. Speaking so, of bizarre, yeah, this next scene, <laughs> tricycle scene. <laughs> now, one of the things I really enjoy. Pods. Sorry. <laughs> Kirk walks over. He finds a tricycle that's broken. It doesn't have a front wheel. He picks it up. He calls Spock over and then just hands it to him and walks <laughs> off. Hey, hey, Spock, I found your stuff. And Spock just kind of looks at it and is like, what the? And so he hands it to McCoy. Now, one thing I did think was funny, I was reading um, an account of a, a guy who was a, a 
special effects artist. Um, and he was talking about the remaster. This was one of the first episodes remastered and he was mm-hmm. talking about uh, uh, different pieces on it. And he said, one of the things he really appreciated it was that the original version, the resolution wasn't clear enough to pick up what the newer version is, which was obviously the look on Spock's face of going, why the hell did you just hand me this? <laughs> <laughs> he said on the old television, it kind of looks like Spock is kind of curious. They're like, no, on the HD, it's very clear. What the hell, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this crap. <laughs> Man. But then, if this wasn't weird enough, now we've got a screaming guy who just comes <laughs> flying out of a doorway, screaming, mine, 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 like he's a seagull and finding Nemo. Oh, man. He's got like purple stuff on his face and he goes and just knocks McCoy down. Now, again, if we actually had security guys hanging around, they would be able to help in a case like this. Right? But no, these security guys are kind of off on their own and it takes them a while to get back. And as a result, Jim Kirk gets to do what Jim Kirk loves to do, mm. punch people. No, no, I saw this on a Western one time. Let me give this a shot. And, and this one's even worse because he's not only punching him, but Spock starts to hold the guy so that Kirk can punch him. <laughs> yeah, you know, if there's one thing the 60s taught me, it's that if your friend starts for no reason whatsoever beating someone, you should hold that guy down. <laughs> I don't know. Savage beatings are apparently a thing in the 23rd century. <laughs> century. So the guy's skin is real gross. He's yeah. all, like you said, he's all covered in purple stuff. Um, he's got white hair. Cause that makes sense. Um, and he's, he, he's begging them, please. Will you fix my tricycle? <laughs> Which, I mean, come on. This guy clearly is too big for this tricycle. He's never getting on it again. <laughs> That is the biggest problem here, of course. <laughs> and I do like that McCoy tries to reassure him. like, of course, someone will fix your bicycle. And I was waiting for everybody to, to touch their nose really quick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think if you listen really closely, you can hear Scotty all the way on the ship going, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> the guy starts freaking out. And I think he's having a seizure or something. <laughs> it was a pre-existing condition. He's highly allergic to getting punched in the face a bunch of times. <laughs> it's funny. I have that same allergy. <laughs> so Kirk's like, Hey man, we'll help you. It's all good. We'll, we'll do whatever we can to give you some assistance. And he really freaks on Kirk. No, 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 never. No, 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 no. Thud. Yep. I mean, anytime Kirk, offers to help you your days are numbered <laughs> this guy knew more than knew more than a lot of people uh, yeah. so mccoy does the little thing around the guy and um says his metabolic rate skyrocketed and he aged a few centuries in just the last few minutes and you know what yeah that will cause you to have a seizure i, I think maybe Although what we did see in Indiana Jones is that aging that much in a few seconds will actually turn you into a crazy skeleton man and you fly <laughs> up against the wall and turn into dust. I'm telling you, don't drink from the wrong chalice. So then Kirk hears a noise and he's like, ah, let's go see what that is. 
I love the hey, a noise. Everyone run towards the noise. We don't know what it is. <laughs> it's like uh, when you, you make a noise around the house and you see a puppy just go. <laughs> He's doing the squirrel. Bit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so sound goes this way and that way, and they just keep on running headlong towards whatever <laughs> is the last thing that makes a sound. I feel like he, he went and decided to bust down a door because it's like that when the kid in the middle gets tired of playing monkey in the middle <laughs> and just takes somebody out. And so he, he blows through a door and they're in a room with a piano, which apparently Spock is an expert in piano. <laughs> Alien pianos even. Right? This appears to be an earth piano. Approximately <laughs> 300 years old. <laughs> and did he didn't even scan the thing? No, nope. he just looked at it. He was like, yeah, "It's three hundred years old." Which I, I, I'm, I'm only... now convinced this whole premise, is, <laughs> the entire show, it's the whole premise is based on the fact that Spock looked at that piano and said, "It's three hundred years old." So therefore, everybody here is three hundred years old. <laughs> and nobody Kirk's questions. Like, yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> no one questions Spock's ability to be on Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, sir. This uh, piano is 300 years old. It's only worth two credits. <laughs> I'm guessing that somebody had, you know, they had something like a class of something rules forever. You know, you know, yeah, somebody, right. somebody bit it with a pin knife and Spock kind of saw that. Like, oh, okay, there we go. That bonk bonk scraped into it. <laughs> we'll get to that later too. <laughs> um, so then there's a bump in the closet. Ah. See, ghost stories. <laughs> they draw their guns. Well, okay. I, I really like this. Um, so again, I have to go back to the, uh, the, the 10,000 fingers of Dr. T. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Dr. Seuss movie where uh, when they are sneaking around the place, they literally tell each other to get into sneak formation <laughs> and they, they hold little finger guns up against their heads while they walk around. It's great stuff. <laughs> the crew com- clearly gets into sneak formation here. They all have their guns held up right next to their face. They're ready to go. <laughs> oh, here we go. We're going to do this. And I, I just love the, the, um, there's somebody in there. So we're going to shout, come on out. We won't hurt you while they're all standing around pointing guns at them. <laughs> Yeah, that one, that one kind of like, I don't know why you don't trust me, <laughs> right? I know you just watched me kill somebody, but <laughs> I'm not going to punch you. Really? Really? Right. So a girl comes out. She's a teenage girl. And we'll find out later. This is Mary played by Kim Darby of True Kim Grit Darby. fame. Yeah. Okay. Original True Grit. That's a legit movie. My my father is a huge John Wayne fan, and I am not. I cannot stand <laughs> John Wayne. True Grit, though, that's a good flick. Just saying. It is a good flick. John Wayne's one of those things that I enjoyed his work, but I find him highly controversial. Uh, I think the word I'm looking for is repellent. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of views that, that were troublesome. Mm-hmm. But hey. He did hire George Takei for a movie, so we'll give him a little for that. That's fair. I'm going to bet he wasn't very nice to him, though. (laughs) Actually, George Takei had an interesting story about that, but that's for another day. 
So Kim Darby of True Grit fame, as we said, was born Deborah Zerby. Um, she was the child of a couple of dancers. And this is just a weird one. And okay, so this is internet stuff. So this is stuff we dug off the internet. Well, I dug off the internet. So somebody can tell me, you know what, that's total BS. But according to one source, uh, her parents, when they danced at the Carousel, Carousel Club in Dallas, um, when they were on stage, uh, Kim Darby would be watched by the club manager, which was Jack Ruby. That is absolutely nuts. <laughs> what really blows my mind is I never made the connection that she was the mom and better off dead. What? Yeah. I did not know that either. She boiled all the, she boiled like the bacon. Yeah. And as soon as, as soon as someone said, it, it's like, ah, when I, when I looked it on the IMDb, but it never, I can totally see it in my head now. That's, yeah. that's funny. It was one of those things that is like, I always knew it. I, who is that lady? And I never quite put it together. Well, now finally put it together. <laughs> I did also think it was interesting that she had gotten a, uh, or gotten admission to an acting workshop workshop at Desi Lou, uh, run by Tony Barr. Yes. Because of the fact that her parents were dancers. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, it's not really that surprising if you think about it. Cause Lucy actually started as a dancer. And oh, so true. she had a lot of respect for dancers and, and she often would, would uh, try to help elevate their careers. Oh, it's a pretty interesting. Yeah. Anyway. So Which she comes out. Crazy, Whitney. Yeah, exactly. So she comes out of the closet and she's totally freaked out. She's like, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. And, and she's really freaked. Yeah. I think it's, you put an interesting point in here that she takes Spock in stride. Like this is, she's never seen an alien before. And she looks right at Spock and it's like, meh. Anyway, Kirk, you're scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing they're, I'm guessing in the last days of her, uh, of, uh, her planet's, uh, adults, they were into some radical plastic surgery. So she just kind of like blew it off. She's like, oh, I thought you guys all died out. <laughs> anyway. So he hands her off to Rand. He's like, you babysit. <laughs> I, yeah. Ugh. And this is the part I love that he tells Spock, Hey, why don't you scan for radiation and chemical pollution? Hey, yeah. shouldn't have we had done that before we beamed down? Wouldn't have that been a, like a really good idea to do before we got down here. This is why I could never be one of these characters. Cause <laughs> even as Spock, I would have been like, you know, that's a great idea. The equipment for that's on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> So Spock kind of does his introvert thing and walks outside with the two guards and then tells them, uh, he points off in the distance and tells them, you, you guys go die over there. Okay. Um, and he follows the pings on his little doohickey, um, which tricorders, honestly, boy, what I wouldn't give her a tricorder, honestly. Well, maybe, maybe a next gen tricorder. I don't know about these old ones. <laughs> these old ones were like, Something is that direction. <laughs> it, it's either a rock, a gas, or possibly an entity. <laughs> they were they were kind of a portable version of the uh, of the red hexagon that's on on the helm station that just goes boop boop right boop, when something goes wrong. <laughs> well, it's like uh, remember the uh, the proximity sensors in Aliens? Yes. Yeah. And I always, I always looked at those and I was like, you know, that's really cool tech. And then as I got older, I was like, that's a green dot out in front of me somewhere. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> this helps me how, right? 
<laughs> so let's see here. Um, oh yeah. So Spock is doing his thing and he's, uh, he's uh, <clears throat> pushing around and then we see somebody's little bit of hand, like on a, on the inside of a window, kind of rubbing the, uh, the dirt away to make a, you know, make a looking hole, you know, through the window. It was Opie. <laughs> uh, Gee, so, Pa, it looks like there's a Vulcan out there. <laughs> <laughs> I do like uh, Spock's little peek into the, win- into the window <laughs> bit there. <laughs> I love the fact that Spock has waved away his security and immediately <laughs> is going to be in trouble. <laughs> I don't need hey, you hey, guys, that no, 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 wait, no, come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mary is, uh, recounting her, uh, trauma from the grups and Kirk and Rand are trying to do this. Like, Hey, we're cool grownups, man. Let's just rap about this. Okay. It's all good. You know? I love the, the we're going to expose this incredible plot point. Nobody saw coming. <laughs> grups means grownups. <laughs> Yeah, we got it. <laughs> really? Man, I didn't see that coming. Could have, could have knocked me over with a feather. <laughs> I so do gross. like, so I really like, this will happen a lot of times in this episode. They line up the three uniforms in some sort of formation on the screen. In this case, it's Rand in the red, McCoy in the blue, and Kirk in the uh, gold. And they're huddled together in a little triangle, all talking to Mary. And it's one of those things of you just like RCA asked you to do this, didn't it? Because <laughs> right, they're like, all right, so we have to line up in the order of the the uh, color and the pixels. So nobody move, <laughs> cameraman. No panning. Just it, stay right there. It really pops because, of course, everything's supposed to be dusty and gray on the on the sets and yeah. everything. So it just really, really pops out. And really like I said, it happens two or three times throughout this episode. Actually, I'd like to see it on the original and see how well it popped on the old one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and like, I wonder how much of that is because it was retouched. Yes, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so she would, so Mary goes ahead and tells them all the grups went nuts and died, and it's just us kids. And now it gets real gross. Yeah. Because now Kirk is all like, really? Just you, huh? <laughs> And he starts getting all up in her face and putting on his real like, Hey baby smile. Yeah. Okay. He's got the Vaseline gel, uh, lens on him. So we know he's being charming. Yeah. Um, but he's being charming to a girl who looks like she's 16. If that right now, we should point out that the actress, uh, playing Mary is actually 19 at this time. Um, so, so it's only creepy in the story. In real life, it was mine. Well, in real life, it's still <laughs> creepy, but it's creepier in the story. I, I don't know. It's none of it's good. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's interesting because uh, one of the articles said uh, that I read said the original draft actually had Mary bonding more with Janice rather than with Kirk. Um, Which would have made more sense, actually. Yes, yes, actually, and and so this is one of those instances of knowing William Shatner's um, reputation. You have to wonder where exactly that rewrite happened. Yep, but we'll just leave it at that. Again, well, you I know pretty what? much accepted 
Shatner's let's never coming fair. on the show. So let's be fair. That's not necessarily a Shatner thing either. True. You've also got Gene in the mix. Yes. There is no doubt in my mind that Gene would have been like, well, the first thing that's going to happen when I land on this planet is somebody's going to fall in love with me, right? (laughs) (laughs) So gross. (laughs) Anyway, so yes, we're we're dancing a line here, folks, and it's gross. (laughs) So (laughs) Spock is like, um... Hey, you know, there's, there's a lot more people than I thought around here. Um, this is getting scary. And I'm glad I sent the red shirts off as, as decoys to try to get away <laughs> now. Okay. Here's, here's the thing though. I have a small rant on this, but I'm going to ask you to hear me out. The red uniforms. Yes. The red uniforms in the original series is famous for red shirts die. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we know a couple of things happen. First of all, at some point, starting with Wrath of the Con, everybody has a red shirt. Well, they have a red tunic. Right. Those uniform tunics, even though the sweaters will go away, will remain all the way through Picard's early career. And by the time we meet Jean-Luc Picard, he's wearing a red uniform, which red is now the command color instead of gold. And I've often wondered why the change. And I have a theory. I have a theory that enough people in red shirts during the original series period told them, you know what? There's no other aliens in the galaxy that have red uniforms. Red just pisses everybody off. You're just making us a target. There's nobody else that puts their people in red uniforms. So we We want everybody to be in a red uniform because that'll make it equal. That's when we went to the monster maroons or nautical reds, however you want to say it. Everybody now has a red shirt. So now we're all equally going to get shot at. Okay. Then we get to Picard's life and they say, you know what? We're going to go back to the three color scheme. And the people who formerly red, red shirts is like, yeah, well, I'm not wearing a red shirt. So if you want to do that, you wear the red shirt. Shouldn't you be the one who's the target to begin with? You're in command. I think there's somewhere in between, actually. So keep keep this in mind. In Kirk's time, all the command, and let's be honest, most of the senior staff, not super scientific kind of people. True. And in Picard's time, all the senior staff tend to be a lot more scientific-minded. True. My theory is that there was an uprising. The uprising was among the lower decks, all of them wearing red shirts. You've got security, engineering, uh, some of the non, uh, non-natural non sciences. They all rose up and they took control, thereby spreading the red shirt among all <laughs> levels. And then once they had sufficiently gotten rid of all the cowboys and gotten back to scientific minded people, they had left red shirts at the top as a symbol of their dominance and let the other colors go further down the decks. I think we solved the mystery. And while they were at it, they sent flyers out into the universe, letting everybody know just how much red shirts should piss them off. (laughs) There we go. Wrapped it up in a tidy little bow. But again, I started going through the different ones and I was like, I can't think of another. We are the only idiots who put officers in red uniforms. And it's very British too. And it's one of those things. What's the brightest color I can come up with? Oh, let's put them in red. 
So I, I have to I have to figure is like red is just universally a color that pisses people off, and we're the only morons who actually put our people in those colors. That's interesting. I'm gonna have to do some research now and find out what aliens possibly have red. <laughs> yeah, I know because I I did that purely by memory. I went through all the ones like I'm not finding one. I cannot. Right. Well, I mean, there's not a color that the Ferengi don't wear. True. Or or don't wear. Alex is. <laughs> I forget what he is. Talaxians. There Talaxians. we go. Because they're from Talax. It makes sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two Vicks. Okay. Um, so Spock yells at the guards because there's something on the fire escape and they're throwing rocks at me. <laughs> and the guards run around and say, We have names. <laughs> no, they don't. Let's be honest. They don't. <laughs> he doesn't bother to learn them. <laughs> now, I love that the whole time this is going on, we hear kids in the background going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I never heard it that way growing up. I always heard nan, 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 nan. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I've never heard yeah, 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 yeah before. I thought it was kind of weird. It's an alternate earth. Oh. <laughs> Damn. You know what? That's probably right. <laughs> I feel dumb. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I think, I think the reason he was so upset is because uh, they were throwing rocks at him and teasing him and, it just made him remember being teased as a kid for you know, having a human sister who cried and whisper yelled all the time. <laughs> it took seven minutes to say goodbye. <laughs> oh God. So uh, yeah. Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Kirk first or Spock runs back and I love his line. He tells Kirk is like, it's children. They're we couldn't reach them. They scatter like animals. It's like yeah, this one really shows Spock to be a real child lover. In this yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Spock and McCoy both come off like, you know, old man McFeely. Get off my lawn. <laughs> so McFeely came out. Mr. McFeely was really nice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there's a story so, there, too, and I can't remember what it is. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Well, that was really entertaining. <laughs> Join us next episode when I remember what I was talking about. Um, so Kirk, Smock, and McCoy start to piece the whole thing together and figure, you know what? We need to we need to figure out there's some sort of disease going on here. Something weird's going on here. So Kirk turns on his charm and talks to the teenage girl. <laughs> hey, baby. How about we go to a hospital? What do you say? And she says, it's a bad place. I don't want to go there. And it's not like, you know, like bad is good, bad is bad, bad, bad. And (laughs) (laughs) so the music kicks in and the music is like creepy and romantic and (laughs) lighthearted all at the same time. And about halfway through the song, you realize it's the theme song turned into a rom-com kind of it was an odd choice oh. Ugh. <laughs> it was like they they literally went to the music guys and were like all right he's trying to hook up with this girl so uh, make it light yeah you yeah and she's like hey you're not like all the other ones but unfortunately uh, kirk finds out he's got the planet cooties Dun, dun, dun. He's got the little blue fungus on his on his uh, 
hand. Hand. It's called a hand. On his Let's hand. be clear. We're looking at Kirk's <laughs> hand. <laughs> uh, and this is the point where you can they kind of zoom in on Kirk's face so you can see the thought going through his head. Always do your environmental scanning before you beam down. I I don't agree. I think the face that he put on was much more like. Has anyone seen my chapstick? <laughs> I, I don't know. He, he just didn't look really that upset. It was just kind of oh nuts. <laughs> Ah, well, Bones will fix it. (laughs) Now, where's my tricycle? (laughs) (laughs) So they go to the hospital and Mary's like, well, here we are. And they're like, oh, the hospital's sending out the SOS. Because that's where it would come from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's real weird. I I don't. The the only thing I can figure out is that they they beamed down to where the SOS was coming from. The SOS was coming from some sort of government hospital. And that's why they found the actual hospital that had all this stuff. But here's the thing. They said in the, on the ship that it was coming in on a standard carrier wave, whatever that means. I'm (laughs) guessing, you know, it's an old UHF signal or something. The problem that I have with this is that yes, it'll make it into space. That's fine. Whatever. I understand why the enterprise heard it and showed up. That's cool. But if they if they didn't really travel to space and they were just sending this SOS out, who were they sending it to? It's a disease that killed everybody. Who are you asking? Yeah, yeah, because because well, all I can think it's the Lawrence, Kansas. Is anybody out there? Anybody at all? Oh yeah, I guess so. That that's that's the only thing because they didn't because this society didn't seem to have any sort of space travel. So you're absolutely right. It would seem odd. Now, one thing I'm going to say about this though. They found this carrier wave and they followed it. And this is, this shows just a, such a large leap in technology because when this exact same thing happened to Christopher Pike on the cage, they couldn't tell the difference between a carrier wave and an asteroid. Well, (laughs) so now they can do that. So you have to time to practice. Okay. So, you know, it's, it just goes to show, you know, things are things are going okay in the in the Federation. Right? Uh, leaps and bounds, ladies and gentlemen, leaps and bounds. <laughs> so everybody suddenly is covered in these little rubber thingies, and they're all feeling gross and fungusy, except Spock, who's like, ha-ha, sucks to be you. <laughs> is there any disease you humans will not contract? <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> And McCoy sits I up shop. this, but I got a wicked case of space scurvy. <laughs> so McCoy starts to set up shop with his biocomputer and his portable electronic microscope. And he takes issues. He takes sample issues from everybody. And then he slides one in and his first thing <laughs> he says is it's a veritable zoo of bacteria, which I, I immediately think, oh, that's that's Kirk's slide. They're there. Right. <laughs> All right, it's my turn for a rant. Ugh, just going to stretch out a little bit here. All right, here we go. This is nuts. First off, Rand is sitting there while he's looking into the microscope, and she is staring so intently <laughs> at his eye holes that it's like she's like looking up into his, 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 his downturned face. It is so bizarre. And every time he looks down in the microscope, she does it again. 
you know, what is she looking at? It makes no sense. Like I can understand if she was looking at the slides or something like, Oh, what's he doing? No staring at his eyes. <laughs> what is he doing? Um, also bacteria, not a virus. Bacteria and viruses are different people. Viruses are like animals. All right. Feral. So they switch back to feral again on the bridge Dude looks like he is in full on panic attack mode and not like, oh, my character would be really upset right now. No. Is that a camera in front of me? Oh, my God. (laughs) He is so freaked out and he's not telegenic in any way. Every scene we've ever seen Farrell in, it's like, is that guy sick? (laughs) I feel bad feeling this way, but it's true. And apparently they agreed with me because. This scene where they show him on the bridge is the last time he will be seen on Star Trek. See, this is the first time it did dawn on me, though, when they show him. It's like, there's nobody else on the bridge. Everybody else said the captain's (laughs) gone, and so is Spock. Guess what? I'm heading down to rec room four. He's the one that was like, "Um, am I supposed to be covered from everybody? Oh, God. I hope he doesn't ask to speak to anybody else. Well, ever since his sword fighting episode, Sulu's like, Captain's gone? I'm out. I'm going to gym. I don't know. So Kirk is talking to Farrell over the communicator, and he says, "Uh, I need you to clear all computer banks. Now, (laughs) he just instructed that man to delete everything. (laughs) I, I don't really get what this command's about. I think what he was trying to say was keep the communications clear, but... No, he told him to delete everything on the ship. Which is I was thinking that he was trying to keep processing power for the uh, medical computers. And so he was telling everybody, stop playing Doom, stop goofing around. And, you know, Uh, I'm sorry, the Half-Life competition will be canceled today. (laughs) (laughs) That's where everybody went. There we go. (laughs) Mystery solved. (laughs) (laughs) So he also says, don't send anyone else down. <laughs> We've got space syphilis. <laughs> Which so, I'm, I'm paranoid. So if my captain tells me, don't send anybody else down, it's like, they're having a party. Right. I'm not staying on the bridge. He's having a party down there. I got to talk to somebody else and find out. Did, did he tell everyone not to come down? Or was it just me? <laughs> he could see me through the camera. Was I knew it. <laughs> Nobody likes Farrell. <laughs> So McCoy and Spock, McCoy takes Spock's blood. And they have to do their green blood bit. Which, hey, did you know Spock has green blood? <laughs> do you know McCoy does, doesn't like it? Or likes to make fun of it? Spock's built differently than other other people? Oh they, really, they really hey. never got it to the vaudeville level that they really wanted, but you know. It's pretty close. Hey, well, while we're on the subject of things you never even knew were true, did you know that Data is not a real boy? <laughs> but he wants to be one. Jeez Louise. All right. Um, oh, also humanity's imperfect. Just, you know, just to blow your <laughs> mind. Forward. But, but it's better that way because if you mess around with it, you just make things worse. That's true. No eugenics. <laughs> Kirk and Spock find the files for life prolongation project. There's a mouthful. Nobody could have called it like, you know, project better stuff. No, no, they life prolongation. Yeah. It should have been called the great iron, uh, you know, irony project. 
the life prolongation project when you're down with LPP. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good that they found the only place on the planet where the documentation was stored, though. Thank goodness. <laughs> you know, right there in Mayberry. <laughs> <laughs> so they read the the information and they find out, yep, Spock was right. That piano is 300 years old. <laughs> How does he do that? Right. Now, they go back to the portable microscope for a sec. And apparently by portable microscope, they meant the giant hunk of console <laughs> that was sitting on this table. The thing is like three feet wide by a foot tall. This is portable back in the 60s. <laughs> It only takes four men to bring it down and install it. We we really didn't think there was gonna, ever going to be anything better than tubes. We honestly didn't. It's true. It really is true. Man, I seriously, can you imagine how much it must have blown people's minds when somebody started explaining what a transistor was? Oh, yeah. I mean, holy crap. I Wow. Anyway, so Spock is like, you know, the all the adults are dead and children become adults. Yeah. So how come there's so many kids? And, and the and hair <laughs> just gets real heavy. And all the, you can hear old grumpy people offset going, ah, I think we know what those kids get up to. <laughs> leave them alone. Bonk, bonk. No, 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 no. Um, right. <laughs> But then Rand asks, well, you know, if she was feral, why does she feel so comfortable around us? And here comes Kirk. Well, because <laughs> we're cool. Right. Kids just like being told what to do. They like being Ugh. told what's right and what's wrong. That's my theory. I'm Captain Kirk, and I'm an expert parent because I abandoned my child. Right. So <laughs> Don't worry. You guys don't know about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> And Spock and McCoy both have to tell him, it's like, yeah, dude, it's a little more than that. You're being kind of creepy. Um, do they, though? Do they think he's being creepy? Because they seem kind of into it. And they they seem, yeah, they, they seem to be okay with it. Janice seems to be the only one who's having an issue. Yeah, Janice is like, uh, this is not great, guys. You guys get this isn't cool, right? I mean, this is weird, right? Right. And it's- Spock and Bones are like, I mean, we could make this work. She does have a crush on you. Saying, <laughs> I do like also in the background that Kirk has the security guys reading through medical files and journals. Oh man, the way these guys are flipping through those books, it looks like they should be resting on their knuckles and like, <laughs> throwing bananas at them. Oh, <laughs> like, do you have any idea what I'm supposed to be? <laughs> no, just keep on flipping pages over. <laughs> I've been reading stereo instructions for the last ten minutes. If you see anything that says life prolongation project, just set that aside. Otherwise, uh, I have no idea. This says script for next episode. I don't. <laughs> do I read this? Wait, I'm not in it. <laughs> this is I, how I learned. I? <laughs> this is how I learned. That's a lot, Gene. <laughs> so they determine that, that. Okay, the math gets real messed up here. Yeah. So the life prolongation project. They talk about it. It is. They've come up with a drug. It's a pill that gives worms to ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Sorry. My kids in the hall fans. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's a drug that when people take it, it is supposed to let them live forever. 
Unfortunately, they made a mistake. And the mistake was or made it so that it super aged you and killed you real quick. Unless, Unless you're a you kid, kid. In which case it worked pretty well. Yeah, you only age a month for every hundred years. So apparently when they were trying to make old people live forever, they didn't take into account adult hormones. Yeah, pretty much. They only experimented on people who had already gone through menopause. Or or they were pulling homeless children off the street and experimenting on them. Ooh, there you go. They're like the homeless children works. Uh, so we're glad these people are dead. Yeah. <laughs> those guys. So anyway, what they, what they ascertained is that um, the kids are all hundreds of years old. Cool. Which, okay. Yeah. Okay. We physically get this, but we have a problem here. Yeah. Because there has to be something else working on their brain and making them unable to learn anything because for hundreds of years, they've stayed intellectually developmentally at the age they were. In fact, probably even a little bit less. Yeah. It really bugs me that they had such, that the writers had such little respect for people and children. Yes. Yes. Because it just doesn't. Uh, these kids were painted as like just Lord of, Lord of the Flies, yeah, yeah. But but like you said, they they had diverted, diverted, no, reverted, and gotten even younger mentally. Yes, which it seems that might happen for a for a time, but just survival skills alone, mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to learn things and going to build on your knowledge. A four-year-old who doesn't know how to tie their shoes. Once they're 304, even in the same body, (laughs) they're going to figure out how to tie their shoes. So I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Food and water. Yes. They, they would at least have to get things somewhat organized to get food and water. Lord of the flies. They started kind of forming a government at a certain point. Like it's, it's not all just, Oh my God, everybody goes crazy and kills each other. <laughs> it's like, all right, well I'm tired of the killing. Now I kind of like, you know, a hamburger. So I, I would have liked to somewhere in there. I would have liked to see the writers putting something in talking about. There's something with their brains also just explaining why there's such a difference. But, that's true. But again, that's just, they would have to, you know, stop insulting some form of group at, at that <laughs> point to do that. <laughs> so now Rand goes on the dumbest outburst. Like, you know what I wouldn't give to be a kid forever. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a, and Spock has to do the whole thing. He's like, yeah, well think about it. You know, no Kirk is the one who was like, you know, maybe that dream doesn't work out as well as you think. It's like, d- and Rand kind of gives him the look that we're all thinking of. Well, they gave me the stupid line, so I read the stupid line. <laughs> I'm glad you. Sigourney Weaver in Galaxy Quest. I've got one job on this show. It's stupid, but it's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I thought her look also included. I'm glad you got the blue fungus first, right? <laughs> so they now know what's going on here, and somehow Mary doesn't. So they're like, should we tell her? Should we, should we tell her she's really old? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure she doesn't know that. <laughs> and Girk says, okay, let's go find the children. And again, Spock is like, no, you can't. Cause you know, they're like mice, right? <laughs> Stupid <What>? mice. Well, <laughs> you know how it is. Don't let Spock babysit your children. I'm just <laughs> right. also, if you value your mice, keep them away from Spock. <laughs> So Kirk asks Mary, hey, can you show me where all your friends at? And Mary goes, oh, of course, Jim. And they walk out and Rand looks at everyone else and goes, guys, this is not cool. Like, right? none of this is cool. And Spock, Spock's whole thing is like, well, yeah, but I mean, she could be 300 years old. So, you know, what's the big deal? No, no, not what's the big deal. Think about it. Yes. <laughs> no, dude, you think about it. Is it just a rule that Spock has to say the just most disgusting stuff to Rand? Um, he, yeah. Oh my God. At least 300 years older than you, Yeoman. Think about <laughs> it. I don't want to think about it. That's the whole point of this conversation, Spock. I don't want to think about it. I think we should go protect that girl from her. <laughs> It is one thing I'm not going to miss when, when Rand is no longer on the show. I'm not going to miss the way that they kind of portrayed Spock as almost resenting her presence. Yeah. You know, which was just a weird dynamic to begin I, with. Is it really resentment or is it like he, he relishes torturing her? Ah, uh, good point. I, ah, it's so weird. It's just a, yeah, it's a weird thing. But I, I agree. As much as I wish Rand had not gotten the absolute worst treatment on the show and been kicked off, I, I do think that uh, it, it was kind of nice not watching Spock do that over <laughs> and over. Be a creep. <laughs> right. It gave Spock the excuse to finally start being a decent person. <laughs> so we're finally going to meet the Onlys. And the leader of the Onlys is... Character actor Michael J. Pollard, which uh, I personally am a big fan of Pollard from his stint in Scrooged. Uh, he was uh, Herman, the homeless man, who eventually Bill Murray finds frozen in the sewers, staring at his pocket watch. It was a very sad scene. That was his. Uh, that that was his um, uh, ghost of Christmas future moment. And one of the interesting things is in the scene where Bill Murray first meets his character when they're in the, um, in the, what do you call that? The shelter. Uh, mm-hmm. He's with another gentleman who's going to show up in Star Trek bread as the bad guy in bread and circuses. So yep. that scene had uh, two Star Trek bad guys in it. Um, I always remember Pollard from his part in Roxanne, uh, the Steve Martin movie, um, especially That's the part right. where he was too embarrassed to go in and get the uh, philosophy book. Um, and stands yeah. outside while the guy goes in to, to buy it for him. <laughs> that was uh, that was the fireman who went in and got it for him, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a great movie. I haven't <laughs> seen that in a long time. Yeah, I have to sit down and watch that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of the insults are probably not okay anymore, but <laughs> hey, still a good movie. <laughs> so, so good. Oh no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say the. So we go back to the onlys. Um, the only scene is the biggest kid, bring your kids to work day ever. (laughs) There are so many kids here. So where to start? Um, there is 
uh, young Philip Morris and Iona Morris. Their dad was Greg Morris from the mission from mission impossible. Um, Philip Morris it, well, he eventually plays uh, Childs, the the lawyer on Seinfeld. <laughs> um, but this is the first of five times he's going to be on Star Trek. He's a Star Trek five timer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see. He was uh, Cadet Foster in the Search for Spock. He was the Klingon Commander Thopak on DS Nine. He was a Gem Hadar on DS Nine. Lieutenant John Kelly on Voyager. Um, and, and then, then his, this part, um, so that'll make five. The, yeah. his sister was the one I didn't know about that, <clears throat> that she actually, uh, does a lot of cartoon voices, um, so many. and was the voice of Aurora in the, uh, X-Men cartoon in the nineties, which one of my favorite cartoons, but she also did, uh, voices for fallout four and GTA five. Um, and she directed an episode of Blackish, so she's got her she's got her thumb in a lot of different pies. She was also on Voyager. Oh, I missed that one. Yep, uh, she was. It might have been the same episode with with Lieutenant John Kelly. Actually, that's one of my favorite episodes. I have to go back and watch that one. Uh, Grace Lee Whitney's sons were on there: John Decker and Scott Dweck. Uh, Scott would also be on uh, Star Trek as a Vulcan crew member in TMP, the motion picture. Uh, Shatner's daughters, uh, Leslie and Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth will trek again, actually in star Trek five, as she's the young officer ending Kirk, the log book. And, uh, she actually wrote a making of star Trek five book, which I have around here somewhere on one, one of my bookshelves. She also had some neat stories about the filming of this episode too. Yes. Uh, yes. Which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, let's see. Darlene and Don Roddenberry, Jean's daughters. Um, and then lastly, Nimoy's kids were not on set because <laughs> Nimoy did not want his children to participate in Hollywood. Uh, he did not think it was a good idea. And uh, to his credit, he avoided it for as long as he could. <laughs> his son, Adam, would direct two episodes of TNG. <laughs> uh, Rascals and Timescape, which I have not seen either one of those in a long time. Timescape, Timescape. Is that the 24th century or no, the 26th? 29th century uh, time ship. You know what? I I don't remember. I'm not positive. Hmm. I will have to go back and look. Did I know I'm an episode before you? Uh, let's see here. 25th episode of the sixth season. Is that the one where Worf breaks into a bunch of different uh, alternate realities? Um, I don't know. Where's the plot? There we go. Oh, never mind. No, this one's actually really good. This is the one where they're coming back from uh, a conference and there's a time bubble that keeps wandering around the the uh, uh, the runabout. Oh yes, 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 yes. And like Picard reaches for the the dead fruit, and his hand ages to like a hundred years. Oh, I totally forgot about. It. Yeah, you know what? I have not seen that in a long time. Yeah, it's a really good episode um, for the most part. Anyway, I think that's where you actually get the uh, the meme of uh, uh, Troy making the 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 weird face. <laughs> the Omegird the Berg. Uh, I believe that one is actually from that episode. Uh, anyway, so back on track. Uh, <laughs> so the only's figured out that the really only way that you can hurt grownups is by stealing their cell phones. Yeah, that's a weird conversation. <laughs> we're we're going to take all their communicators and the rest of the kids are like, 
what? What? <laughs> and he's like, just just take the things I tell you to take. <laughs> we should also point out that uh, this guy is 27 while filming this, and he's yes. hanging out with like literal, you know, eight to ten. <laughs> it's weird. So Mary brings Jim to uh, their honeycomb hideout, and there's nobody there. And then a crazy grump woman just pops up out of nowhere. Ah! And so she does children art everywhere, screaming and running. Yeah, it's real weird. Um, I don't know. She she comes out and she jumps on his back, starts screaming and hitting him. <laughs> and it just immediately brings back the image of the uh, of the Catwoman from Star Trek Five. Right. If only there was a bathtub full of water. <laughs> would have been See, saved. That's why he knew how to fight her then. This this taught him. I need right? to know how to how to fight a woman who jumps on my back. He spent hours and hours in on Risa practicing. <laughs> this is how I'm going to get out of this. I just want to hire two of you for an hour and have you jump on my back. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not down there. Are you so, wearing a truss? <laughs> Kirk reaches in his pocket and pulls out a type 1 phaser. And he shoots it. And again, I think the special effects and titles guys are all working together to try something different. Even the phaser was in italics. Oh, it was bizarre. <laughs> and it kind of see, it kind of seems like it starts and then stops and then starts again. Right. Well, so I think it was did. trying to, it was because uh, Shatner was going pew, pew, <laughs> pew, pew. Stop doing that. <laughs> Now we've got to cover that up. <laughs> this is the only time that that phaser effect was ever used in the entire any Star Trek. <laughs> Although it would have been great if they used like just this effect on like the holodeck in Voyager. <laughs> Captain Proton. <laughs> I don't know. She dies. Well, and he's like, hey, the phaser wasn't set on kill. <laughs> but he doesn't show it to anybody just that they can confirm that right. he just says that. Oh uh, yeah. Oh no, it's stun one. That's it. <laughs> anyway. Hey, Mary, do you know her? Mary's like, well, yeah. I mean, she was my age, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure that's not gonna happen to me. <laughs> right? Oh no, this is scary. Hug me, Jim. And of course, Jim's none too happy, or all too happy to take her into his arms and hold her really tightly. And then take her back to the hospital and have her sharpen 400 pencils. Seriously. And I forgot to mention, because earlier, earlier when she's like, when they're talking, he's like, Hey, clean that table over there. Right. And gives her a rag and she just starts doing it. And it's like, why is she cleaning that table that there's nothing on? Idle hands are the devil's plaything. Exactly. It's like your idea of being a parent is giving her chores, dude. Totally. Or boyfriend. I'm not sure which one he's trying to be here. I mean, ew. So she's in the background of the scene, just sharpening pencils, like you said. And I mean, they clearly they need their number twos. I I don't really get what's going on here, but (laughs) cool. He's going to have her start feelings like, I'll show you what being an adult's all about. We're going to do taxes. Well, okay. You know what? Every kid should learn that, actually. I'm so excited to be an adult. Oh, <laughs> well, that 1040 kid. <laughs> so Spock's reading through all the logs and he's like, you know what? I got a theory. Bones is like, what? This, this doesn't look like it's good. Spock's like, well, not for you. <laughs> I'm going to say the oldest person is going to die first. 
So I roll on bones, man. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't even know if you're saying that because it's true or just to be a jerk. Right. But I will say the reaction that Bones had of being told that he was going to get the disease first because he's old is the best reaction that, that he's ever had on the show. It's the most real. Just like, oh, man, I do look old. <laughs> Wait, is that is that me? <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, Spock has to explain because Kirk is like, yeah, but you're going to survive. And Spock's like, yeah, dude, I'm not living here. So right. we have to find a cure. Because I think we've I, already established that I hate kids. <laughs> I'm not staying in Mayberry, buddy. I don't care if my presence kills every last person on the Enterprise. I'm leaving. <laughs> McCoy's like, like oh. McCoy runs down. He goes through the symptoms. And he says, like, he's doing the side effects of the latest pill. You know? Right. <laughs> Please see a doctor if any of the following <laughs> symptoms occur for more than seven days. If you, if instead of hair restoration, you get blue fungus on your, on your arms. Right. <laughs> and then Spock whips out his, his uh, pocket calculator and says, yep, y'all got seven, seven days. At which point Farrell calls down and goes, wait, what? What do you mean? Gosh. Should, should I be telling anyone about that? Right. Who did you leave in charge again? <laughs> hey, guys, the, the engineering's telling me there's a thingy that's not working. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> all of a sudden, Bones goes, by Jove, I've got it. And, and Kirk tells says, Rand, he's got six days. <laughs> <laughs> it really confused me because McCoy says, okay, I found it. And Kirk tells Rand, take Mary for a walk. Right. We don't want her to know we've. You've been talking it. openly about all this stuff, and now you have good news. It's like, no, no, no. We don't. We don't want her hearing good news. That's not right. How dare she? <laughs> so they they figure out that it's actually a series of viruses, and Kirk goes, "Hey guys, you should fix it." And they go, "Yeah, <laughs> we, we know." Thanks. Once again, I love Kirk's version of you should fix the thing so you can make it go. <laughs> Every time. Hey, Captain, he kept, he hey, kept blowing up. off half the ship. You should fix that. Okay. He came oh, up with the vaccine. See, I told him to do that. <laughs> I've saved the planet. <laughs> so all of a sudden they start hearing the taunting and they run away. And they just run out of the room. They hear the children's talking and all of them just book out of the room immediately. Right. I, okay. And not one of them takes a communicator with them. Okay. So this really weirds me out. So Pollard gets in the room and he, he run or his name's John. So, so just so we're clear, the writers really went overboard with the naming. <laughs> this guy's name is John. Everyone calls him John. In the script, it's written J-A-H-N. John. <laughs> anyway, so John walks around the room and picks up everybody's communicators. He picks up six of them. There are six people in this away mission. So they've all come into the room, put their communicators in this room, and left without them. Everybody had them plugged into chargers at the same time. How many times do I have to tell you, bring a battery? Come on. 
considering considering that human beings at this stage in our development don't go four feet away from their phone very easily right. yeah this was this was a bit of a oops on their on their end you know what it is star trek communicators don't have candy crush so there's no reason to keep them around yeah uh, yeah yeah all they get is live calls on them they never get text so uh, okay i'm starting to get it i'm starting right? to see it exactly. yeah yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not here. <laughs> Maybe they do have Candy Crush and there was only five communicators and there was a red shirt in the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm sorry, who did the what to who do? Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, hey guys, anybody here? <laughs> Weird. So yeah, they do find out, okay, now Kirk and company find out, hey, wow, these kids even though we haven't seen them yet, they've only got about, you know, six months worth of uh, food left. So, wow, it's really lucky that we just happened to come by right now. How convenient. (laughs) 300 years of plenty. And as soon as they start running out, a ship shows up. Yeah. How convenient. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, kind of look at the conspiracy chart on that one because yeah that's that <laughs> seems like oh no you you guys you guys can't live here by yourself you're gonna be out of food right well, no we have tons of nope nope you're gonna be out of food that's that's what's gonna happen no we see about 450 roasts have just shown <laughs> up just saying <laughs> anyway also, I love that behind them on the wall is the mutations chart. Yes. <laughs> this is a giant white poster board that's got crayon drawings and like <laughs> sticky strips all over. It's so good. It looks like a sixth grader science project. <laughs> and I think it's supposed to be something that McCoy did. <laughs> My God, we meant to have just a a simple science fair, but I think Johnny Williams is actually charted the fact that our society is dying out. <laughs> Maybe what it really is is they were like, security, I know you don't really understand what you're reading over there. I have a PowerPoint I need you to make. <laughs> <laughs> so, for some reason at this point, Kurt just knocks a bunch of stuff out of Rand's hands, smashes beakers on the floor. <laughs> Once again, what did she do? She's just standing there. And well, at this point, everyone's just being a total jerk. The disease seems to make people into total jerks, except for Spock. Spock's his normal amount of jerk. And, True. Uh, and yeah. And then to, Rand, as soon as these things hit the floor, Rand just freaks out on him. I did like the scream. No, I thought you really sold it on that one. Yeah. So she goes out in the hallway and it's real weird. She's crying in the hallway and he comes out and he's like, listen, I'm, I'm real sorry. I don't know what's going on with me. I, I feel really strange. I'm really upset all the time. I mean, they're, they're really leaning into the whole, they've got the virus and it's making them crazy. <laughs> and then her facade breaks down, I guess. And she starts bawling I used to try to get you to look at my legs and he's like, what? What? And she's like, I've been trying for so long to get you to look at my legs. And then she reveals that sure enough, she has the disease and it's on her legs eating her stockings. 
somehow. So I'm guessing, and I'm purely guessing on this, I'm guessing this is a holdover from the first draft because a few articles I read claim the first draft of this actually was a story that was going to start to develop Kirk and Rand's relationship, start to bond them more. Um, which ironically, of course, is not going to happen because this is going mm-hmm. to be Rand's last episode. But I'm purely guessing and thinking that maybe this was a holdover from that particular script that that the new writer did not. It was that part of that 20% he didn't rewrite. Well, either that or or after the events that are about to happen, they kind of rejumbled or re-edited the episode. And that's why it feels so bizarre and stunted. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, kind of is weird that it would have even been a thing considering Rand probably doesn't like Kirk's face because he, somebody who looks like him just tried to rape her just a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Like, I'm going to guess she's not exactly super keen on this guy at the moment, whether the man in front of her did anything or not. Yeah. But somebody who looks exactly like him, talks like him, (laughs) basically is him, did. So, yeah, especially after he did it twice because evil Kirk, like, tried to fool her again. And she was just like, no, I'm not. Right. Yeah. And. I don't know. It, it just seems like PTSD would step in a little bit here and be like, no, I'm not doing this. I don't know. And then of course, you know, Miri watches this through the doorway and is like, Oh my God. He the like, totally likes her. <laughs> and so she leaves. She disappears out the back door, which is, you know, about that time. McCoy's like, Eureka, I found it again. So McCoy says he might be onto something. Uh, he's got his Eureka moment and <laughs> everyone's so happy. But Except Mary, Mary. she's, she's upset about everything. <laughs> she's at that age. Right. <laughs> so she, she goes back and sneaks into the onlys and is like, Hey guys, guess what? If we steal the blonde lady, <laughs> um, question mark. Step three, profit. <laughs> and I can tell you, you know, I was the same age as, uh, as some of the kids in this when I first saw this episode. And I was like, steal the blonde lady? Yeah, I'll steal the blonde lady. When, was, <laughs> right? when do we steal the blonde lady? We should be stealing the blonde lady right now. But the problem is, is that they start talking through this plan and we start to find out they're idiots. Yes. <laughs> Not kids are kind of dumb. No. No, these, these are, are idiots. Um, the the writers have absolutely no respect for kids or women. When she's talking to them, she's talking about how they could possibly do the kidnap. And the one kid says that Kirk is Mr. Lovey Dovey. Yes. And then he says that Mr. Lovey Dovey will, will just bonk, bonk him on the head. <laughs> and the kids are talking like normal English everywhere else, except for they just have to throw in things like bonk bonk on the head. Yep. It's, it's very odd. It is the worst writing. I swear to God. Again, I have to wonder if this is the part that the guy is like, you know what? I don't write for kids. That's the 20% that's staying in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> that part's like, not my fault. I don't know what this guy was thinking. This makes no sense to me, but uh, maybe it was a vision. I don't know. <laughs> Bonk, bonk. Oh, my God. 
Mr. Lovey Dovey, bonk, bonk. Oh, so, yeah. so they agree. Okay. We're going to go ahead and, uh, because she says, cause, cause John tells her, it's like, if we just take the blonde lady, that's not going to do anything. And Mary tells him, no, if we get the blonde lady, yeah, the captain's going to come after her. So yeah. we're going to get both of them. So Spock and McCoy, they're up to their old hijinks. They find a vaccine. Dun, dun, dun. They're oh, like, they, I don't know. Do we drink it or <laughs> mirror it on us? Or? We, we did all the science, but we don't have access to the enterprise computer. So we don't know how much of it to take. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure bones should be able to figure that out, but whatever. <laughs> um, he doesn't know math. Eh, he, he only knows chemicals. He know no math. <laughs> oh, maybe he's getting dumber because he's got the disease. Pretty oh, soon he's going to be go. like, ah, you just bonk, bonk it into your veins. You'll be good. <laughs> which, so, so it's the disease supposed to make people more irritable. And it's just like with McCoy, you can't really tell that much. You just assume, okay, it just looks like he didn't have coffee for a bit, you know? <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden Jim's like, all right, that's cool that you found a vaccine, but Janice is gone. <laughs> And Spock's like, um, I mean, that's true, but uh, <laughs> you know how we don't have any walkie-talkies to go home? <laughs> I'm trying, Spock. <laughs> Listen, just because you shout at me doesn't get your point across, all right? <laughs> Actually, one of my one of my favorite deliver- line deliveries on this entire thing is when he's a uh, uh, Kirk is grilling Mary about where's Janice? Where's Janice? Where's Janice? And, and Mary goes. Are you feeling all right? (laughs) It's like, none of us feel all right. (laughs) Do you understand why we're looking for a vaccine? Why are you all so stupid? It's one of those things of, okay, you know what, Shatner? I wouldn't have gone with that choice, but you know what? It worked for you. (laughs) Right. So then Kirk goes into a classic Kirk trope. Listen, I've got to show you a hard truth about yourself, (laughs) but I'm going to take it way too far. (laughs) Listen, you're becoming a young woman and you're sick. That's just the way this works out. If you don't let me help you, you're going to die. Now, how about a hug for old Jim? (laughs) Come on. Not quite. (laughs) It's pretty close. (laughs) I personally like, let me grab your head and make you stare at the sword that's on your arm. Look at it, look at it. Look at it. (laughs) Yeah. And there's like, you're becoming a woman and it's all down here from downhill from here, baby. Right. (laughs) And again, we go back to the onlys. Yeah. Who are in a schoolroom pretending to be in school. And they're extremely stupid. Yes, because, okay, the best entertainment you have is let's play teacher and go bonk, bonk. I can tell you, even at seven years old, if the VCR would have broken, I would have figured out a way to fix that stupid thing. (laughs) Right? I, okay, at eight years old, I was tearing things apart and fixing them. (laughs) And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge dork. I get that. I understand that, that, my idea of what's fun is not necessarily what a lot of people think is fun, but every one of my friends and I on the block would have looked at that one kid going teacher say study or bonk bonk and been like, something's wrong with Jimmy, man. Like, Dude, <laughs> you got to step up your game, right? 
So John is walking up. John walks up to Rand and Rand's looking at this also going, this is ridiculous. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and he's like, what? It's folly. Like suddenly he's got a vocabulary and nobody else does. <laughs> at 27, you get a vocabulary. That's how this works. <laughs> Problem is he's 27 and still hasn't gone through puberty. So he doesn't have the disease. <laughs> Sorry. It uh, is he, what, weird things. He looks so old compared to the other kids. <laughs> like some act, some some uh, um, casting director looked at this guy and was like, "Yeah, he looks like he's about eighteen or so. Yeah, he plays young." And that guy would go on to cast uh, the entire series of Nine Hundred Two One Zero in the eighties. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god. Or uh, Saved by the Bell. <laughs> the senior years. No, I just, it, it, oh, you know that like every other 18 to 25 year old in the room was like, are you freaking kidding me? He looks like my dad. Anyway. <laughs> Even Pollard is like, it's a paycheck. What am I? <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, eh, whatever. I'm on screen. That's all I wanted. <laughs> so Mary brings Jim in and the enterprise theme on French horn play. (laughs) 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 So good. So yeah, Jim walks in and all the kids gather, gather around and this one, I have to say it, it, it had kind of a reminiscent thing of the, uh, the far point scene, the court scene with all the dirty masses sitting around uh, jeering at the, the captain of the enterprise. Oh, totally. And I, I gotta be honest. I, so I read that you, you wrote that down before I watched the scene. And so when I was watching the scene, I had that in my head and I got to admit it was one of those moments of like, did they actually think of this when they wrote Farpoint? Cause yeah. it really does feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I kind of think there might've been something they tried to lift from it. Cause yeah, there was a lot of similarities just in the, in the look. Yeah. So the, the kid or he starts trying to talk and the kids are like, no, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Once again, illustrating their extensive vocabulary, which again, gives me one of the best lines from the entire show as Shatner goes back to them and yells, no, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that, that's his Shakespeare. That's, yeah. that's kicking in for it. Right? It's so. like, I want that on a gif. I want that as, I want that as actually a, an alarm tone. <laughs> <laughs> so this is also when it becomes painfully obvious that it is the first time we ever see the zippers in the tunics. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I will actually point out in a previous episode of our show, I've pointed out a zipper in a tunic. True. Just saying. True. But that said, they had little tiny white zippers. <laughs> Very cute. And uh, for some reason, Kirk and Bones had theirs unzipped. Not really sure why. That's what the disease does to you. Makes you unzip zippers. <laughs> you know somebody's sick because they just sit there, zip, zip, <laughs> zip, zip. So he tries to convince them, hey, man, bad things are going to happen unless you give us back our little talkie boxes. And <laughs> the kids are like, you bet that they are. Yeah, was like, that was kind of the point. Thanks for bringing it up. But while he's saying all this, the kids surround him and then start to beat on him. And this looks like, oh, Kirk's going down. And they do the little creepy thing of this little girl is just watching 
all the kids beat on Kirk and they zoom in on the little girl as she kind of smiles and watches this whole thing or doesn't have an expression or something. But then he just kind of like shrugs them all off. Well, I mean, it is a bunch of little kids who are like wailing on him with like wiffle ball bats. I, and, say, I assume most of it was a nerf that he was getting right? with. Oh, my favorite was there was a kid who had one of those, uh, uh, the the Halloween caveman clubs. <laughs> it's clearly like, you know, blown plastic that's completely hollow. Um, there was one kid who had a stick that kept bending in half. <laughs> the the, uh, the uh, bowling pin. The bowling oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> what weapons can we give children where they won't accidentally hurt our main <laughs> So he, he, he jumps up and brushes them all off. And then the kid who said bonk, bonk jumps on his back off of the desk. <laughs> and he just throws the kid. I know. It's like, whoa. No, I'm sorry. He doesn't jump on his back. He reaches around. He grabs the kid by the arms. Yes. And he goes to like swing him around. I think Shatner just dropped him. Yeah. Because yeah, the looks way like he, he threw that kid to the ground, that kid hit hard. Yes. Yes. Like you could see him, he hit, and the kid's like, oh no. <laughs> so um as we mentioned, uh Elizabeth Shatner had some uh, stories to tell about uh her time on the set and and I think my favorite part when she was talking about uh well first of all, she was very upset because she was told she was going to be able to go to the studio and be on Star Trek with her dad. They gave her a box and said, here's your costume. And she opened it up and it was a dirty little girl's dress. Yep. And she was like, I thought I was going to have a space costume because this is Star Trek and you're giving me something I wouldn't even wear myself. This is awesome. Um, um, as so she was so upset about that, that her mom actually uh, went to go try and see if she could get her something a little bit better. And the creepy girl that was standing there watching the fight is wearing a filthy green wig. <laughs> yes. And uh, the mom saw her walking by on the set and was like, oh, can-? she went to the the uh, um, the prop guys and was like, can she get one of those wigs? And they're like, uh, yeah, we're we're out of those. <laughs> and so she never got her, her green wig. <laughs> I did like. Uh, Elizabeth Shatner talking about the most confusing part was when uh, uh, Kirk is doing his uh, his speech and he yells to the children, look at your hands. You have blood on your hands. And she said the director really should have explained to us that this was going to be a line because a lot of us thought they did something wrong because there's no blood on my hands. And we all <laughs> looked at our hands and I didn't notice it before, but there's a quick cut in that scene when he goes, there's blood on your hands. And all the kids look down immediately and they cut. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you can totally see it. Cause there's one kid who's got their hands sideways. Like what? <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> I'm going to guess that was the group of kids whose parents were actors. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, uh, I also like the fact that she, uh, when her dad was holding her, she could really see uh, Rand's hair quite well, and she knows the basket weave, and kind of wonder if she could play checkers on, on that lady's head. Oh man, that's some good stuff. <laughs> uh, so Bones and Spock basically are staring at this vial of uh, of uh, 
antidote, which one thing I did want to point out also earlier, when they're talking about we need to get in touch with the ship because we have this thing here, Spock, for somebody who's a Vulcan is supposed to be devoid of, of emotion, he's really got a dramatic flair because he has to tell the captain, well, without those computers, it could either be the cure or it could be a beaker full of death. Dun, dun, dun. Who talks like that? <laughs> you know, it just occurred to me, something very stupid happened in this show. No. The ship was brought there by an SOS. They okay. have a radio. <laughs> Yeah. I can't believe I didn't think of that earlier. Yeah. Well, I I thought also it's like, okay, at some point, do you not like, okay, I understand nobody else comes down, but first of all, we know this is a virus. You can come. We do have EV suits. You right. can come down. If you haven't heard from your captain in a couple of hours and he says he's going to check in, of course, again, Kirk didn't leave anybody in charge. So yeah. <laughs> Farrell's like, hello? <laughs> Anybody like, coming back? Mr. Scott, aren't you in charge? You didn't tell me, so I ain't doing crap. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Farrell's in charge today, baby. <laughs> That's Captain Farrell to you. <laughs> so Bones is like, nah, screw this. Uh, hey, Spock, what's that over there? <laughs> He injects himself with the dose. Matt, where would science fiction be without scientists just dosing themselves with their own serums? You know, in all fairness, where would modern medicine be without it? Because there's a <laughs> lot of that. I mean, uh, I think it was syphilis. Yeah, syphilis. One of the the uh, doctors who, one of the like primary doctors who figured out that uh, penicillin could impact syphilis dosed himself with syphilis knowing that it was potentially a fatal disease. No, no, I meant to do that. I totally meant to have syphilis. That was completely oh, no. within people witnessed him injecting himself. He already like, had it. It was gross. <laughs> there, I'm, there is, now, I'm now going to give right? myself syphilis because I <laughs> haven't had it before. There's, there was a couple other ones that I was like, Oh my God, these people are just horrendous. <laughs> Where they just like took stuff and like mashed it together and put it in themselves and like, wow, stop doing that. Well, I will tell you as a fan of Marvel comic books, if scientists did not subject themselves to their own experiments, we would really have no Marvel comic books whatsoever. They, it was just pretty much. Do you want Green Goblins? This is how we get Green Goblins. <laughs> I guess he's a guy in a costume, really. <laughs> no, anyway. he, he did that bit. He did that. Anyway. Bit. So. Bones, you know, as if you didn't think he could get more sweaty. <laughs> he does. He lays back on the floor and I think they just poured a bucket on his face because, wow, that's a sweaty dude. I, I will say he threw himself into the hole, you know, Spock! <laughs> Spock and throwing himself on the floor. It's like, oh, he, re he really enjoyed that. Spock, bit. I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Spock comes in, finds him on the floor. is like, ah. Oh, I didn't even bring whiskey. <laughs> Jim comes back and he's like, hey, um, I brought the kids and the phones. <laughs> and we look and hey, it looks like the lesions are fading on Bones' face. Okay. 
pretty good effect actually yes it, it wasn't bad uh, uh blah 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 deforest kelly did a great job of sitting real still <laughs> for both shots <laughs> No, uh, no. The thing I get is that all this happens, and then Spock's line is, "I will never understand the medical mind." What? <laughs> the medical mind tells you to shoot yourself up with your own serum when you don't. Wait, wait I'm pretty sure that the medical mind in this case was, "I'm gonna die if I don't do something." <laughs> yes, exactly. How medical do you have to be to figure that one out? Right. I don't know. It was just a weird line. Again, I think that was at like 20%. <laughs> and then uh, John is like, is this supposed to be a good thing? <laughs> the, the whole time John's been hanging out with Mary, he's got that look on his face like he wants to try that thing he heard his friends talk about. <laughs> I don't know. And given the fact that we've done nothing but slyly hint at where babies come from on this episode, <laughs> real gross <laughs> yeah they they did kind of you know ask pollard's like could you could you turn up the creepiness just a maybe another five another five on the right. creepiness there yeah that would hey be i don't think the guys in the back really got it can you <laughs> say it a little clearer also bend your head down and look up the t- yeah there you go oh, yeah, there, there you go, go. That's the stuff. <laughs> so we go back to the Enterprise because we're done being creepy and we got to get back to modern world where nothing's creepy at all. <laughs> so Rand is is saying, well, it's just, you know, we're leaving them. They're just kids. And Captain Kirk says, well, I contacted Space Central and they're going to send some people over. It's like, what is Space Central? You're making stuff up now, dude. <laughs> also... If they're going to send people over, does that mean that everybody's got to get vaccinated? Like, are they going to vaccinate these kids now? They're going to have these kids who are effectively semi-immortal. Yes. Now going to die sooner because they got vaccinated. Uh, Not necessarily because we don't know the effect the vaccination is going to have on their prolonged life bit. Well, that's true. But also like could... So if, if I was one of those kids, I think I'd be like, listen, I'm 11. I would appreciate it if you can give me three more of my years and then I'll take the vaccine. Like right uh, about the time I that you. I start sprouting some chin hair, let's, let's do the vaccine then. But before that, I'd really appreciate to have, you know, another hundred years or so. <laughs> I mean, what, if you got four years left, that's uh, 48 months. So that's what? A hundred years for each one of those. So 4,000 years. I have 4,800 years left. So (laughs) could I have those? (laughs) Well, I'm just going to say that I'm glad that somebody on a podcast is bringing up the subject of vaccines. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the problem today. You vaccinate your kids, you take 4,000 years away from them. How dare you? They didn't ask that. He wouldn't see that Star Trek. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah. And Jim is like, I never get involved with older women. <laughs> Which was an irony saying it to Gracely Whitney as she is older than Shatner. Yep. And, and then she walks out like she's all insulted. And I'm like, did you really need to make that play, guys? <laughs> So we want to talk briefly about Grace Lee Whitney because 
this is going to be your last episode and it's not for good reasons. Star Trek no. did something bad to her um, or something bad happened to her because of Star Trek. And that's, that's like not good. Yeah. Um, you figure this was a woman who was told originally that she was going to be the female lead for this show. And she has her contract canceled halfway through the first season. Now, it, according to a few sources, it was the rap party of this particular episode before they took a small break that she encountered the sexual assault from. She lists the person as the executive. There's been all sorts of speculation. Um, I've heard um, speculation that was NBC executive specifically, but I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I've never heard from her anything more than he was an executive. So I'm going to leave it yeah. at that. Cause that's, that's as much as I know about it. Um, it's sad because it's one of those things. She reported it and she was fired not long afterwards. And you have the excuses from the network saying, well, no, we didn't want a love interest for captain Kirk. We want to leave him more open to, to, uh, pursue romances within the show. Um, you go to Roddenberry. Roddenberry at the time said it's a money situation. It's just a money situation. That's all there is to it. But I mean, given the timing and given what happened, it's hard to imagine that that was not the impetus to have her fired. Right. No, the, the timing is, is too convenient. It was an awful situation. And this is a time when covering it up was what you did. Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It still happens now. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't but it was like in the playbook. So yes. Yeah. It's, it's pretty obvious that what she was saying was a hundred percent the truth. Um, now I'm going to say that unfortunately this did center into a situation where, um, she struggled with addiction. Um, mm-hmm. and again, I'm not aware of the specifics, um, on that, but, uh, she po- talks rather candidly about it in her autobiography um, about her struggles with with addiction. It's one of those weird things because I really was not aware. Now, I was very young um, when I first started watching Star Trek, but I wasn't really aware of Grace Lee Whitney as an actress. But um, at the time she took on Star Trek, NBC reportedly said she'd had over 100 television appearances over the, uh, the previous decade. And she's also in the famous... Um, train scene of some like it hot the billy wild wilder film so oh, i didn't she, know she was in that yeah awesome. um she was one of the girls in the band and she's in the uh in the famous train scene so it was obvious that she had some sort of career going there and for it just to kind of end the way that it did it's really pretty tragic um yeah that's terrible and i you know especially because as a character i always really really liked her um I, I thought that she actually fit in pretty well with the admittedly bizarre roles that they put her in, <laughs> but uh, to have her be forced out like that, it was, it was just a shame. And that's, that's just from the perspective of a fan of the show, you know, as a, as a fellow person, the way that they treated her was just disgusting. Now there's some, some nice things that I don't that kind of come out of this. So as far as you see people trying to help each other reportedly, um, it was DeForest Kelly that found out that she was completely unemployed and reached out to her and let her know that we're doing these conventions and people are asking where you're at. 
So you may want to like start looking at appearances, um, which did help her at a, at a time that was um, rather difficult. Also in her book, she credited Nimoy as being her greatest supporter and <clears throat> pardon me. And um, as we mentioned, when we did the uh, different movies, uh, Nimoy was really the, uh, the driving force that got her involved in those movies and got her some sort of, of uh, recognition of her Star Trek legacy, um, which would also lead to her uh, part, uh, her appearance in Voyager as well. And uh, she was on Voyager. She appears in the episode, the flashback episode where, uh, Ah. where she, where they're on Sulu's uh, uh, Excelsior. That's right. Um, Um, I did find it interesting that she was, that she played woman in cafeteria in Star Trek (laughs) three. Um, which I mean that, that really it's Star Trek three, right? So yeah, that's, that smacks of, listen, I I got nothing for you, but I can get you paid if you want to just show up. Yeah. Um, thankfully then in the very next movie, she got to play, um, commander Rand in Star Trek four. Yes. They gave her an uplift. Um, and then she got downgraded again to Star Trek six, <laughs> where she was the comms officer on the Excel here, which actually, is where I think she's actually supposed to be the first officer in that in the uh, Voyager episode, they actually treat oh, yeah. her as if she's the first officer. Yeah. Yeah. She's credited as commander Rand on Voyager. Um, but no, I know what you mean is it, it was one of those things of like, you put her in the comms thing and then Voyager, they kind of like, Oh, well she just happened to be sitting at comms. She's really the exec. Yeah. Right. They're, they're like, listen, we, we know who this person is. We know why she's awesome. And we're going to give her credit where it's due. Hey, it was either her or Farrell. So we had to put somebody at comms right there. Right now you, you wrote in here that, that Roddenberry would publicly apologize. So um, um, I didn't read about that actually. Yeah. I, uh, there was an article that said some years later, Rod Barry actually did apologize to it. And, um, and basically said it was the dumbest mistake he ever made. Cause he admitted that he had bent pressure from the, uh, that his, that his story about it being money was not true. And that he had been from pressure from the, uh, from NBC to get rid of her. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with him there. That was one of his dumbest mistakes, but, uh, I mean, in the end, uh, you know, thankfully she, she got to realize just how much the fans appreciated her. Yes. Um, you know, she, she did do, uh, uh, conventions and stuff until she passed up until 2007, she was playing Rand. Um, there were two fan made movies that she was in, or one was a TV show one was a movie that she was in as well. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, she, she got to keep on doing it. <laughs> as long as everybody else in the original cast so <laughs> more power to her so and that about wraps up the really creepy episode mary yes lord of the flies and and young girls gonna uh, admit not one of my favorite episodes not so much <laughs> um weird that an episode that came right after one called what are little girls made of turned out to be way creepier yes yes um, but yeah, the alternative earth, like we said before, it's going to come back, uh, in other episodes, different alternative earth. Uh, apparently they're like everywhere out there. Um, so <laughs> they're going to pop up time and time again. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, 
next week uh, or next time we're going to be uh looking at dagger of the mind Ooh, one of my favorites uh it is a really good one um yeah so well join us for the next one uh, i wanted to say a a quick thank you to the folks over at five-year mission for the use of their song beam down for our intro and outro uh, please make sure to check them out on their website at fiveyearmission.net, where you'll find a song for each episode of the original series grouped into albums for each season. Uh, they're really cool. They're available on Apple Music and Spotify, as well as their website. Um, please uh, check them out. And please feel free to stop by and drop us a line. We are No Seatbelts on the Bridge on both Twitter and on Facebook. And if you like this episode, you can find our archived episodes all free at www.noseatbeltspod.com. All right, folks, thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Stargate 832 2016.